Hello, space lovers, lawyers, and listeners. Welcome back to Pod Ad Astra, advancing the analysis of development and adoption of human rights across outer space for the benefit of humanity. My name is AJ Link, and I'm a research director at Just Ad Astra, a nonprofit pioneer project looking to bring human rights to the stars. For our eighth episode, we are delighted to welcome Britt Duffy Atkins. Britt is the very first space urban planner. She is one of the very best space communicators around right now. Uh, she is the founder of Celestial Citizen. Celestial Citizen is a platform for promoting a more equitable and just vision of planetary settlement beyond Earth. Britt is one of my absolute favorite people in the space space right now. Um, y'all should definitely go check out the Celestial Citizen podcast when you get the chance. And I'm a huge fan of season two, episode one specifically. Britt, <laughs> welcome to Pod Ad Astra. Thank you so much for making the time to chat with me today. Uh, I'm amped to get you to, to get to do this with you. Um, I don't normally get to do the podcast, so I'm feeling extra lucky to have this conversation with you today about urban planning and space. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, AJ. It's great to be here. And um, yeah, for those who don't know, season two, episode one was in fact my conversation with AJ about disability rights in space. So um, yeah, so I, I kind of chuckled there because I, I love the plug. But yeah, no, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. So let's get right into it. First thing, tell me more about Celestial Citizen and what gave you the idea for it. Can you kind of explain that? Absolutely. So Celestial Citizen is a space media company and community for envisioning our collective future beyond Earth. And, you know, so what that really means is that we look to create space media that's diverse, critical, nuanced and entertaining. And we seek to do all of this really with um, a grounding in and commitment to social justice and equity in all the future space exploration media and entertainment that we create and we encourage others to create as well. Um, you know, and ultimately this boils down to our real core belief, which is that, you know, everybody deserves the opportunity to see themselves as a stakeholder in our collective space future. And so that really is the guiding principle for everything we do. That is so amazing. And I think uh, I've got to jump off the question list for just a second, because I was thinking as I was do reading the intro, I used words like pioneer and, you know, celestial citizen. Um, I think it may be, a, it may have been an old blurb, use the word settlement, right? And kind of the research I've been doing lately is how that language um, is still harmful, right? It's from the, the frontier mindset. It's part of, you know, the coloni colonization mindset. And so I've been struggling with um, someone as someone who's talked about pioneering final frontier, you know, going, going beyond, right? How, how that language has affected the things that I want to do as I grow and move into um, being a space communicator. And looking back, it's kind of like, oh, but at the same time, you want to be able to communicate in a way people know about how do you feel about that kind of language? Yeah, no, I think that's a really great, uh, a really great point to bring up, because it's something that quite frankly, since you know, the idea for Celestial Citizen, um, you know, first came to me in, uh, gosh, now looking back, it was, it was 2019 and um, sort of how it evolved over time, I think is also sort of emblematic of just like how this conversation has evolved over the last couple of years within the space industry as well. So you're absolutely right. I mean, we definitely tried to move away. You know, it, it sort of started, I think, in the space community where people stopped um, you know, or, or a lot of people, I think there's still a fair amount of people that unfortunately use like language that's very like 
what's a future colony in space going to look like? I mean, it's very much still um, using that colonizing language. Um, but we are starting to see a lot of people move away from that. And of course, you're right, like settlement. I mean, even even that and pioneer and frontier. I mean, these are all terms that are very embedded in our vocabulary. And so in some sense, they're, you know, helpful in a way of, of sort of I guess, describing what it is that we're talking about doing, because I found personally, when I was talking about planning cities in space, that people sort of immediately felt like, oh, she's talking about having, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of people living in space, and that's way far off. So when you're trying to talk about sort of those first steps, um, people do think about that in, in very like colonizing language, right? Like it's just that seems to be the vocabulary that's tied to it. The interesting thing is that actually on Celestial Citizen podcast, we've had a number of conversations with folks like, uh, gosh, well, we've had a lot at this point on this particular topic, um, but a couple that come to mind is that I think we kicked off in season one, really our first concerted conversation around this was with Julia Millette and Macaulay Carroll, um, where we were talking about sort of this legacy of, um, you know, a colonizing past um, in the space industry. But then in season two, we kind of dived in more where we had conversations with um, Fred Sharman uh, around, you know, sort of how our history in space has really been guided um, by a very particular perspective and how that's been quite harmful. And so I, and I can't recommend um, Fred's new book enough, um, Space Forces. Um, I think that's an absolute must read for anybody who's interested in these topics. And then, um, you know, another great conversation was with um, Dr. Alice Gorman as well. And that one was particularly interesting because, you know, she sort of posed the question of like, but why is that kind of language our starting point? Like, why is that our default? Um, and I think I don't have a great answer for that right now, right? I mean, other than it sort of is um, obviously guided by, you know, the, the people that have been in positions of power and sort of how they frame and see things. So um, I think we need to start really moving away from that. And I'm excited about like innovating past that point and starting to have conversations around, you know, what, what a better future looks like and how do we create a new vocabulary for how to describe that? Um, I think that's actually a really exciting thing to look forward to. I'm so ready for that to happen. And thank you so much for that thoughtful response. Uh, I think Natalie Trevino, Dr. Natalie Trevino has written about this. Um, her thesis, The Cosmos is Not Finished, uh, kind of talks about how it's basically American capitalism and the frontier mindset and America's dominance in the space sector that kind of forces that language on everyone. Really interesting stuff. Let's get back to our actual questions though. Uh, so what's your ultimate goal with the Celestial Citizen platform? What are you trying to build? And not to kind of have a, a pun there, uh, based on urban planning. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, my ultimate goal in creating Celestial Citizen is really that I want to reframe the way that humanity thinks about what the next 10, 50, 100 years look like. And in whatever, you know, whatever capacity possible, I, I really want Celestial Citizen to help build a more compassionate, an equitable and innovative future society, both on and off earth. And the way that we aim to do this is really using various forms of media and community building as sort of our key set of tools. Um, one of the things that I really love about urban planning is, you know, the emphasis and the focus on public participation and community engagement. 
And so I think that that's really something that excites me about our future in space is that I don't even think we've barely scratched the surface in terms of engaging um, you know, the, the true population of people that might be very interested and very enthusiastic about, you know, our future in space. I think that we really need to, um, to widen that community dramatically to really bring in all the unique perspectives that we can. Um, so, you know, whatever, whatever part that celestial citizen can play in that, you know, we're very enthusiastic to just, you know, be involved and help, you know, ultimately help, you know, bring society to, you know, whatever that next step is going to look like. I'm so excited for all the things that you're doing and all the content that you put out. Um, Y'all have to go follow on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, all the cool ones. Uh, (laughs) How did you find your way into the space industry? I love asking this question because I know for a lot of people, it's kind of a, a roundabout way of getting there. I know that I've always wanted to do space, but I couldn't find a way to do space until I found space law. Uh, but how did you decide that you wanted to get into the space industry? What made you decide that you wanted to be a space urban planner? Yeah. So, you know, it's really funny because I know if you'd have told me this like 10, 15 years ago, I never would have thought that this would have, um, you know, would have been where I would end up um, because I wasn't one of those kids that necessarily grew up being, you know, obsessed with space from a very early age or exposed to it. Um, you know, actually, ironically, given that like I'm on a law podcast here, but, um, ironically growing up, I think my parents always thought I'd be a lawyer because I argued with them so much. Um, (laughs) but, but the thing is, is that, you know, I mean, ultimately, um, I was working in, uh, you know, different fields. I actually had, um, worked for a number of years in, um, like real estate development and management and things like that. And I had become really disheartened, frankly, like by, um, by that industry and, and, you know, sort of by the inability to have the kind of positive impact that I wanted to have in the world. Like, you know, I think we all go through this, um, or at least, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe then the younger generation is starting to realize this ahead of, um, you know, ahead of millennials, but, you know, we, when we kind of entered the workforce, it was a lot about finding security and stability. And I think we were really shaped by sort of like, um, you know, graduating from college following like the 08 financial crisis and things like that. And I think it took me a number of years to realize that it was okay to pursue a career that I was really passionate about. And that really, um, would kind of fulfill me on a deeper level. And so ultimately, like when I started thinking about what that might look like, it just so happened that at the same time I, you know, interstellar came out and I saw interstellar and I know this sounds super cheesy, but it was honestly like seeing this film and going like, wow, you know, this really like, it changed my perspective about, you know, sort of our place in the universe and, and sort of, um, and, and the kinds of big questions and things that I might be interested in spending my life working towards answering, um, or at least, you know, attempting to. So yeah, it was around that time. And I had, um, you know, from undergrad, I had had a background in urban planning and architecture. So I started just to seeing, you know, some of the interesting things that people were doing. And I realized that there was actually this whole community of people focused on space architecture. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of it. And I thought, you know, wow, this is really interesting. Um, so I just started attending conferences and um, becoming more aware. And then that led to, um, you know, then learning about uh, a master's program in space resources and pursuing that. Um, and then whilst I was in grad school, really the ideas just kind of started to evolve over time because I, 
was attending these conferences in the space industry and seeing people um, present on, you know, whether they would be contests of like design the first Mars colony or something like that. And I was sitting there in the audience and I was going like, wow, this is really problematic. You know, we're, you know, the, the way that we're framing this conversation already is, is deeply problematic. The language we're using um, also just like the design of these things you've got, um, you know, I love engineers, but you've got engineers planning cities and that's not, that's, that's not a recipe for success. So, you know, I think it was sort of, I just saw this real opportunity to add a skill set to an industry that really wasn't including anybody at that time from the urban planning world. And even still to this day, I mean, we need so many more urban planners. We need to find our way um, into the space industry, but yeah, um, super long-winded answer. Sorry about that. But basically that's, that's how this all came to be. And, um, and I decided, I said, you know, space, space urban planning is an important thing as we think about future, um, future missions, future infrastructure, and even from those earliest stages, you know, what those initial, um, you know, what those initial, again, it's like, what do you call them? Because all of our language is kind of problematic, but um, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, a design for an early base or a future community or a city or things like that, like we need to start having those conversations now. Um, and so that was really my initial goal in getting started was just trying to, you know, provoke some discussion on that topic. I'm so glad you did because admittedly, and I don't know if we've talked about this before or not, I feel like we have, I didn't even think about how the actual structures and the design of structures would affect the communities, right? I like, I, I think kind of on a, a larger scale and, and I do a lot more kind of theory and in terms of, you know, what society should act like, but the way we, sh we physically shape society affects how people act. And so I'm so glad that you exist in your space and this space, uh, but how would you define or describe space urban planning? Because when I hear that, I'm thinking, are, are space communities actually going to be urbanized? What are they going to look like? Will it be urban? Will it be rural? Will it be X rural? Will it, will it be a term that we haven't um, come up with yet? Uh, mm. Will it be suburban? I don't, I don't know. So I guess, <laughs> could you, can you describe that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think like the, the best way to start for people that aren't super familiar with urban planning, just generally. So urban planning is looking at the political, the economic, um, the social and the design, like the physical aspects of, you know, everything that goes into planning cities um, and, and towns and things like that. So if you take that and you sort of extrapolate it for space, right, it's, it's basically trying to solve those same challenges, but in a much more, un, you know, unforgiving environment, very harsh environment. So, um, and not only just from like, you know, is it, technically more challenging to figure out how we design for safety and, and uh, you know, comfort levels and things like that in space for, for humans that might live there someday. But it's also, it's thinking about like durability of some of these like intangible institutions as well. And so I think that that's really a key thing. So when, when we talk about space urban planning, it kind of covers a lot of bases, right? It like, it covers the physical, it covers the intangible. And it covers, you know, kind of all the different aspects that you might think about in terms of like how you would both design, build, and then govern and hopefully create a society that is harmonious. Um, 
in, in space in the future. So it's, it's a big, it's a big item. And ultimately the way that you do that is you bring in people across many different disciplines. Like you want to bring in people that are very, um, you know, interdisciplinary in nature and have a lot of, um, bring a lot of different perspectives to the table. And ultimately that's why community engagement is such a key piece of this as well, because the more, perspectives you bring in, the better off you'll be for planning for, you know, a future where people are not left out. And I think that that's really the key thing there. So um, circling back, I guess, to your original question, though, of like, how urban will these, you know, will these potential future communities be? Um, the interesting thing about space, right, is that every everything that we do and create in space, at least initially, certainly is going to be so expensive and so challenging that ultimately, you know, you won't have the same, I guess, easy road is a way to say it that you've had on Earth where like we can spread out and we can be less efficient and we can kind of do things that aren't so great for the environment and aren't so great for um, creating you know, sort of that community feel, right? Like if you look at like suburban sprawl, um, I think that in space, certainly at least to start, I feel like we're definitely going to have to figure out ways to be really efficient with our design because, um, you know, the, it's, it's definitely going to be at a premium to build anything. Um, so I think, I actually think that there is going to be a fair amount of density to the way that we live in space someday. Um, but you know, I mean, of course there's, you know, it depends on who you ask and who you talk to. Um, I think the big thing that we really need to figure out aside from just, there's a lot of people obviously focused on the design and the space architecture side of things. And, um, there's so many lively debates about whether it makes sense to build on the surface of the moon or whether it's better to be orbiting around the moon and living there. Um, or the surface of Mars, et cetera. So I think there's a lot of healthy debate around the design issues right now in the space community. What I think that we actually are lacking though is enough debate and conversation. And of course, I mean, you and I know this because we kind of like sit in circles where we do talk about these things. We talk about human rights, we talk about um, governance, we talk about, you know, like all of the different social things that will come into play. But I don't think that on a broad basis, we're really thinking about those things as much as we should be um, right now. So I think it's actually from an urban planning perspective, I'd love to see a lot more people come in and be focused on solving those issues, because otherwise I think we're going to take a lot of baggage with us to space that's just going to basically be repeating the same mistakes that we made here on this planet. I am going to get to that question about mistakes, but I'm, I'm just processing your answer. I'm just thinking like, wow, maybe celestial citizens should offer a space urban planning boot camp or program or something like that. Just really Ooh, intensive for yeah. like two or three weeks, just a bunch of webinars or a conference. I don't know. So many ideas, so many ideas. Uh, yeah. I know for me, you were kind of talking about physical designs and, and how we want to design things to be equitable. I know something that we talk about just at Astro or not is the right to a breathable atmosphere in space, in space and the right to a habitable environment, which includes access to things like clean water. And, you know, I think about things like how do we design water so that people can't cut someone's water off and kill them in space? Or how do we design space atmospheres to where like, obviously you have to have pressurization and depressurization where like one person can't just control all of it. And, and, you know, kill mm -hmm. people. I, th I think it's wild. So yeah. with that, like, what role do you see 
urban planning playing in the actual development of what these space societies will look like? How much of an impact can the, the actual designs um, have on the future of these of these space communities? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, and, and I'll even kind of piggyback on what you were saying there, which is also like, so as we start to think about a future where there's a lot more, um, you know, sort of commercial players in space who might be sending their own employees and like, how do we make sure that these employees are also protected so that their access to these sort of basic human rights in space are not jeopardized by sort of like employer-employee relationships as well? Um, so I think that that's something that we definitely want to think about. But yeah, so it's it's interesting because I think there's definitely an opportunity from just like a purely design standpoint, as, as you kind of brought up, where it's like there are, you know, there are different ways that we might be able to design things such that, you know, it's... Um, you know, not foolproof, but certainly more protected in terms of like the ability to be able to say like, okay, um, somebody's not just going to be able to come in and like, you know, as you said, cut off, um, you know, cut off water supply or something like that. Um, that being said, though, I think also, like, one of the things that we want to think about beyond just a design perspective, though, is we want to use and utilize urban planner skill sets to kind of bring people to the table early um, so that we can start to also understand how the design impacts different people differently. So like this is something and I feel like I feel like we might have even talked about this a little bit um, on on our, you know, uh, podcast, like back in the spring um, or back in the summer. But, you know, it's the kind of thing where you only your data in terms of design and creation is only as good as like the actual data that you're collecting in terms of like, you know, is it, is, is your data biased in a certain way? And so I think that that's really important when we're talking about design, but it's also why we need to have so many people brought to the table early to provide feedback to these ideas. So I'd actually love to see more opportunities where like NASA and private space companies are hosting, you know, sort of like visioning workshops or design charrettes or things like that, where they're saying, hey, we're planning to design X, Y, and Z. And we'd love to bring in people um, from, you know, different corners of the public who, you know, are a fairly representative group that then might be able to provide input that we wouldn't understand otherwise in terms of like how they might interact or use that space. I mean, to give you a terrestrial example, right? Um, it's sort of like when different cities might, um, you know, put up uh, affordable housing in certain locations or things like that. But the thing, because they're not actually talking to the communities that they're designing for, they might actually locate the affordable housing very far away from centers of employment or um, or away from you know daycare um, locations or things like that. Or it might just create um, you know a lot of displacement for families and communities generally, which then breaks down the support systems that they need to be successful. So I mean that's just one example, but I think that as we as we start to consider how we design in space, these are the conversations that we need to start having is like taking it to that next level of not just how do we survive in space, but how do we really thrive? Um, and I think that that's a, a really key part of it. I'm not sure if I completely answered your question there. Um, I, I think you did. And I, I think that was a great example of, you know, affordable housing, because something that I always think about um, just because I, I, I think about this and it's frustrating to me is how often we want to tear down um, 
older affordable housing buildings that are, you know, densely populated and put people in like single family homes, not realizing that multifamily dwellings have a communal aspect where people can like watch each other's kids. So you don't have to pay for childcare when you go to work or you have, you know, those safe kind of bonds where it allows you to, to meet and, and have, you know, a, a social safety net where when you go into single family dwellings, maybe you don't have that same communal type feel and those same options and it actually hurts folks. Um, and, and you know, if you don't talk to them about it, you're like, oh, well, this, this is bigger and nicer, so it's better and it's not necessarily the case. So I think that's a great lead in. I'm gonna smash two questions together. Um, you, we talked earlier about some of the mistakes we've had, but what are some of the, the, the good you know, and bad lessons what we can learn from urban planning here on earth, uh, but also, what do you think are the most important aspects of urban planning when it comes to designing equitable societies, not just in space, but, you know, here on earth and what can we, can we do to design more equitable societies now and in the future? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think um, it's really apt that your questions, these kind of go directly together because I think one of the best ways that we can design for a more equitable future society is by owning and, and and taking accountability for the mistakes that we've made in the past, right? And the only way to really do that is to have really honest and transparent conversations about um, about our failures and sort of where we've um, where we've taken you know uh, a really bad direction. So to kind of go to that part of your question, I think some of the failures of urban planning that we've seen, I mean, we have, um, especially in the U.S., I mean, it's been a very unfortunate history around racist zoning laws and policies um, that, you know, unfortunately were incredibly, incredibly damaging. And we're still, I mean, we are still today seeing the effects of that um, very much so. And it's very once you sort of start down a path of designing something um, inequitably from the beginning and having those, um, and again, I mean, this was intentionally done, you know, but it's like once you have those racist policies or you have policies that um, that treat people unfairly, then unfortunately it's very hard to eradicate those out of the design of the way that your your cities are sort of created. Um, you know, we've also seen that there's been a lot of displacement of, um, you know, of different communities and things like that, that goes kind of hand in hand with the racist zoning laws. Um, but I think the, the thing there is like, you still today, or, or at least I've seen this today, where like, people still want to have conversations about our future in space and like, how we zone for it and things like that. And I'm like, well, how are we going to talk about um, future zoning on the moon if we don't talk about how frankly messed up zoning is here on this planet right like how are we going to have like i i understand that there's obviously um you know some benefits theoretically to um creating like safety zones and things like that um of course we need to be thoughtful about safety however i just want to make sure though that we're not using safety as sort of a shield for like anything else that we might be trying to accomplish behind the scenes, right? So I think it's like, again, this is where transparency really comes through is that we need to make sure that we're we're owning what we've done in the past and we're making sure that we're not repeating it. Because I've also, you know, I think there are a lot of people who, who probably view like, oh, well, we can find little loopholes and things like that for the activities that we might undertake on the moon and, and how we can sort of get around um, you know, some of the existing international laws and whatnot. So that's kind of its own conversation. But uh, going back to the urban planning failures on this planet, I mean, 
There's a fantastic book called Segregation by Design. I really, um, I highly recommend that to people to check out. It's a super fascinating read. Like even if you're not in the urban planning field, definitely check it out. Um, but again, that just kind of points to like how we have used urban design in a really tragic way. Um, and then of course there's sprawl, there's automobile dependency. You know, we've, um, you know, we've prioritized um, automobiles in, to the detriment of our urban cores. Um, and in general, I'd say like also, I mean, we were talking just a minute ago about affordable housing, but I mean, if you look at housing practices in the US and how they've really only supported, um, you know, white families and, and people of a higher, you know, socioeconomic level, I mean, that has led to absolutely tragic disparities in general, generational wealth in the US. And like, this is still, I mean, we're still very much grappling with all these issues today. So like my, so this is sort of where I think people need to say, okay, this isn't just about space. This is like, we can use space as a way of kind of like ideating and thinking about the future, which I think is really helpful. But it's also like, it has to be a concerted effort. We're like, we're also trying to improve life on earth. Like these two things have to happen in tandem. And I think it's absolutely possible. And that's what's exciting about it. Um, but I really hope that people start to see that, like, we're not going to be able to create this better future that we seek in space unless we kind of like own and deal with these issues here. And then there's a lot of them. Um, and so I think that's really important. But ultimately, urban planning, I still believe if we just, if we really try to move past that really, you know, sort of unfortunate history. If we try to, if we try to own it, understand it and learn from it, I think we'll be better off for it. The other thing is, is that there is in urban planning, you know, the, if you look back to like the city beautiful movement, for instance, right, there was this whole idea that urban planners were like these, these individuals, right? Like they were these academics, right? That had these grand visions for the future and that they would basically design them. Um, as like the sole visionary architect, right? We need to move away from that too, because ultimately this is not something that one person or a few people is going to create. I think we need to understand that there is like the, the strength is in the community. The strength is in the collective and being able to utilize everybody's talents. Um, and so ultimately I think that's, that's where I derive a lot of hope from um, and what we're doing going forward. But uh, there's definitely a lot of work to be done. I, I'm so glad that you got brought up kind of the historical aspects that we're still dealing with. I have not read segregation by design. I want to, I have read the color of law. I guess it's because I have yes. a legal background, which is, you know, it, it covers the same topic, but I, I think about a couple of months ago, maybe it was over a year ago now when the, the U S uh, secretary of transportation was like, you know, there's built in racism to our architecture. And so many people were up in arms and saying things like, how can roads be racist? And it's well, like they were intentionally designed to produce racist outcomes, right? Like the, the, the physical cement or whatever thing that you use to design it, you know, is inanimate and obviously doesn't have, you know, racist ideas or, or inclinations, but like the purpose behind building that, um, and you talked about, um, kind of um, sprawl, but also kind of interstate design and just cutting through communities and, and displacing so many people. And there's just, there's so many different lessons to kind of talk about and, and take in. And, and I agree with you. I feel like we've talked about this multiple times, like how a lot of people uh, think that 
folks like us are too aspirational with what space can be. But I think we both agree that it's not just, you know, the possibilities of space, but how looking through things, uh, looking at things through the lens of kind of space and space futures allows us to correct and identify a lot of the errors that we still have here. Um, you know, and, and when we talked yeah. about this um, on the Celestial Citizen podcast, kind of like accessibility in terms of design, right? How you can you can physically design spaces to exclude people, whether it's intentional or not, but that affects who, ha- who gets to make decisions in the building, right? Uh, and and yeah. things that happen actually inside the building, you're denying access to those people. And I think your suggestion um, about, you know, communal input is so important. And I'm, I'm not in urban design, urban planning. I don't know if there's been more of a movement towards that, but I, I, I think that that's a really important part of kind of growing as, as humans, right? As realizing that the way that we've done things, even if, people view them as successful or adequate. Now um, we have to ask successful and adequate for who and who have we left out in terms of, you know, yeah. our design. Well, and I think it's so, because I'm, I love that you brought up the color of law as well. I think that's a, a great book. I, people definitely, um, you know, should read that if they haven't already. And again, that's another one where it's like, it doesn't matter if like, you're not it, like, if you don't have a background in planning, like it's, it's such a, um, it's such an accessible book. And I think it really will appeal to a broad audience. Um, another one too, is actually Isabel Wilkerson's um, cast, which from a legal perspective is really fascinating. Great book. Yeah. 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 It's a really great one. And so, you know, but again, it's like, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. Like I think having this lens of like thinking about space, right. It, it presents this interesting opportunity, right? Like it's almost this like collective world building exercise, where you have people who can kind of hopefully shed maybe some of their preconceived notions, shed some of like, you know, any barriers or things that they have up and they can kind of approach space from like almost a theoretical way. But then it's like, you realize as you're talking about space, you're like, oh wait, but like all of this also applies to earth as well. And so I think it's like potentially um, space allows for, people to vision out the future in almost like a disarming way. And so I think that that's kind of an interesting, um, you know, nuance to how we might think about planning our future here on the planet as well, is having these two things be really interconnected um, so that we can, you know, hopefully try to really break down a lot of these barriers for folks and like start to really think about things differently and bring about positive change. And one, one quick shout out, but um, there's a professor at USC, Catherine Perez, um, and she is just absolutely fascinating. And I love, I loved her, her class. Um, and it's just from the perspective of when I was an undergrad doing urban planning, which was like, you know, we don't need to say how many years ago, but it was like several <laughs> years ago. Um, and then now to be like wrapping up my master's at USC in urban planning, And it's just been such an interesting time to be doing that because I do think the lens from which we approach it has changed dramatically, even in, you know, that give or take like, you know, 10 year timeframe, right? Like, so I think it's really important, the conversations we're now having, but Catherine Perez is one of those who in the urban planning community who just really understands the importance of public participation and feedback. And that's like, such a such a critical component, I think, to anything that we're doing going forward to allow people to feel like they're really truly stakeholders. Like, let's actually make that happen for people. Let's not just say it. Let's make sure that they're a part of those conversations and that 
the feedback and the input they're providing, and this is the most important thing. And Catherine always talks about this, but it's like, you actually do something with that feedback. You don't just take it. You actually have to then integrate it into what you're designing, into what you're planning and show people that you heard them and that you really incorporated what they said into, into what you're building. Um, and that's the, and that's the really critical component. I love that. Something I've learned from disability advocacy, and it, it applies to so much more, is nothing about us without us, right? Um, and and kind of respecting folks' humanity and not, and I can never say this word, inf infantilizing them, infantilizing, I don't know how to pronounce it, but um, actually res respecting their autonomy and, and their ideas and their decision-making and including that and designing spaces for them. Because obviously with a lot of disabled folks, people think they know what's best and, and how you know to help them and you treat, treat them like charity cases and things like that, which is really unfortunate. But I, I completely agree. Uh, I don't know a ton about urban planning, but I feel like I've learned something um, and I feel like I'm better off knowing uh, a little bit more about it. But I wanna switch up um, and, and switch from urban planning uh, and, and go into space communication. Cause I like, I, I consider myself a space communicator now. I feel like I do that more than actual space law at this point. Um, but what's something that you would change about space communication right now? Some, what's something you like, kind of just talk to me about what you've seen happen in the past couple of years in terms of um, space communicators kind of growing and I think diversifying in terms of the voices and the ideas. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It's um, a really good question. I think what I would really like to see change about space communication is I still feel like, and again, I mean, there are space communicators like you and others where like, I really feel like it is a very original and um, very inclusive approach to kind of how we are thinking about space communication, which is absolutely wonderful to see. I think if you look at the industry broadly, and if, you, if you're talking about space and science communication still broadly, I feel like personally it is still too focused on too narrow of an audience. And that ultimately there is really a broader population of people that could be um, very interested and interested in engaging with the space industry that we are just not tapping into and we are not reaching. Um, and I think that's really unfortunate. Um, so I think it's sometimes it's it's interesting because right people want to focus on the audience that's already there right because that that might be you know kind of um the easiest way to to find success but i think it's important i think it's important to kind of know that okay well maybe um this particular bit of content is really um is is kind of well suited to the audience that's already there but then we're also going to share with them something maybe they haven't been exposed to before and so i think that trying to balance out um the communication so that it doesn't feel so narrow and one-sided is really critical um and important but yeah i think also just generally speaking um you know with space communication as well i'd say like there also seems to be, unfortunately, a big push towards like, almost like homogenizing like the content and the communication styles and things like that. Like, I would say like, don't be afraid to, to be yourself. And like, you know, when I first started out talking about space urban planning, I mean, it was like, crickets like there was like no, you know what I mean like there was <laughs> there was nobody out there asking me it's like you know how on um you know those memes where they're like oh you know people are asking me about my skincare routine like no one asks about your skincare routine um but like you know all kidding aside um but the thing is is that like when I started out it was like nobody was asking me about space urban planning but I would just say that like you have to 
really just not be afraid to be yourself and be original and like try to go for, you know, producing content that you feel like if it's, if it's meaningful and important to you, that's going to shine through to other people, I think. And so ultimately, like I'd say with the space communication too, like, I just love to see more people taking risks and saying like, this is what I'm about and this is what I'm into and this is what I like. Um, and, you know, not to get, I guess, too focused on like, you know, or back on, um, on Celestial Citizen, but it's like, it's one of the things that we talk about like internally all the time is that we have different projects that are going to be coming out this year. And we know that some of them are going to be taking big risks, right? Um, and we're not sure exactly how they're going to land with, with people. Um, but we feel like they're important conversations to have and important stories to share. And so I think it's like, you just have to, you just have to, yeah, be yourself. And um, I think the rest will fall into place. But I'd love to see space communication just get a whole lot you know, just more diversity of thought, more diversity of style, and just really get very, um, very interesting. Like, I think we, I think it could become like this very happening place, space communication, if we let it. I certainly hope so. Uh, that's so much of what I do during the day is kind of just absorbing space content and, and commentators. And um, it, it changes the way I think, like, I think that my view on space is radically different today than it was maybe even a year ago in terms of, you know, the things that I care about, the things that I want to do, the things I'm looking forward to doing. And it's just because I've been able to meet so many people with so many amazing ideas that have made me question, you know, where, where's my mindset coming from? And, um, you know, what are my values? And, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's really, really interesting as someone who, who got into space and space communication through space law, um, and it was really focused on kind of legal aspects of being in space to now I'm someone who is like, well, my entire conception of law is really Western European centric, you know, American. And like, what, what actually is law? What is, what is the right way to, to travel through space and how are we doing it in an honorable way? Um, that's going to be respectful for, you know, generations to come. And it's like, I don't know. I'm rambling now, but it's, it's space communication is so important. I wish more people would like get into space instead of just reading um, the, the hot take articles about billionaires in space. Cause they're there. I would say like our generation quote unquote of people who are doing space are really, really fascinating. I think there's so many people doing so many fascinating things. Like you talked about um, Meckley and Julia, you know, we, we mentioned Natalie. I think there's so many people like, and, and I'm not going to rattle off all the names, but there's just so many people who are just <laughs> trying list. to do different things. And it's like, wow and they're all so incredible and so knowledgeable in in their their areas and it's just uh, i wish more people will absorb space content and maybe i should just start a twitter thread or something just linking to all the the amazing space communicators that are doing amazing Ooh, work cool. right now well yeah. and you know the thing that you touched on too that i think is really really important and i like i, I just want to go back to it is like you know you said that it's sometimes it's like your your views do change and they can change really rapidly and like how you were saying how the way that you view the space industry is so different even from a year ago and it's something that i've definitely started to really like this is like kind of my own personal um feeling or personal sense of like how i've seen things evolve like i really started to try to take the stance like more and more where i just embrace like not having an answer for something like being like, I don't know, because there's so many 
good lines of like so many different lines of thinking and, and just like people putting out, um, you know, different articles and different, um, you know, different posts that really, they, they make you think like they're very, like, they're very, um, they're very interesting and they challenge, you know, what you might've viewed about the space industry before aspects of it. And so I think it's like very important to also just take the perspective of like, it's okay to not know. And it's okay to just take a step back. Honestly, it's one of the things that I've really tried to embrace is that like people sometimes ask me questions, well, how would you do this? Or how do we solve this? And these are like really big questions. And so I'm like, it would be very disingenuous to sit here and be like, okay, this is the solution and this is how we're going to do it. And I'm not saying we can't work towards finding, you know, solutions as we get to, you know, whatever that future goal looks like. But I am saying that it's also okay to take a step back and just say like, it's okay to not have an answer and it's okay to not really know and just sort of like sit in this like uncomfortable feeling of being like we're growing and we're like learning and we're not really sure where it's going to end up yet but we hope that like we're going in the right direction and I think that's okay too sometimes sometimes learning and unlearning things is an awkward process and it is uncomfortable and so I think that like that's something I hope the space industry also thinks a lot about is that like instead of having this engineering mindset of like tweak this, fix this. Okay. We're good. Moving on now. Like, let's actually like sit with some of these big questions and really think them over. Like we don't, I'd rather that we, we go through the steps to make people feel heard and go about things, you know, in the way that allows for broader engagement and more people to feel like stakeholders than just get to a quick solution that ultimately isn't sustainable. I completely agree. My, my big thing right now, and, and it's kind of like where I am and I don't think it'll change, but it might because things change is like, um, I don't know the answer, but I want us to make decisions that don't uh, prevent future people from being able to make decisions that are best for them. Right. So it's, it's almost like a very, very much a floor type of deal. Like I don't want us to design laws that prevent future people and societies and communities from being able to kind of do what they want, or, or it causes them a lot of, um, conflict or force or whatever to have to change laws right i don't i want to design a place where, where people have the autonomy and the self-determination to kind of design who they want to be in space and i think that's one of the most beautiful things about space um and, and again something that's changed my mind is kind of talking to space entrepreneurs and you know vcs and space libertarians who i i disagree with a lot but one of the things that i think they're right about is space is large enough for the diversity of, of humanity in a way that the earth isn't and i think we have to embrace that um, and make sure that we're not too restrictive and in, into what people can be, obviously. So we're, we've, we've been chatting for a while. We're running on time. I've got two last questions. Um, they're kind of fun. Um, this is something I, I think you asked me, maybe you didn't, but it's something, my favorite thing to ask. It's, you know, the moon, moon or Mars divide in the space community. Are you a moon person or a Mars person and why? So, okay. I would say like, historically, I've kind of been a Mars person, um, I think this is because I really like the challenge that Mars presents. I also, from an urban planning perspective, am a little bit terrified by how quickly things are happening on the moon. Um, and so like, I personally like that Mars because it's just takes longer to get to, and it's, it's more difficult. And like, there's a whole host of other reasons. Like we have more time to be like thoughtful before we, before we get there. So I feel like that's maybe why I lean towards Mars, but I will say that everything that's been happening with the moon, I it's, it's exciting. I mean, it's thrilling to think, you know, um, and again, I mean, yeah, I, I have like my own kind of personal views about like hoping that we don't, 
mess up the moon. But, um, but that being said, like, yeah, I'd be lying if I didn't find it really exciting to think about, you know, a future where we have an interconnected earth moon system, you know, where we're, um, you know, able to travel back and forth and there's cultures that develop, um, on the moon and things like that. So I do think that that's a very interesting kind of exciting thing to look forward to, but probably still a Mars person, probably if I had to say, cause I just, I think it's like, kind of, it's like that real next, like, I mean, it's just like the thinking about what might be possible, I think. And like, just envisioning kind of a future where like imagine the psychology of living on the surface of Mars and being so far away from Earth. Like imagine how interesting that's going to be from a standpoint of really like transforming and changing society. I mean, it's just, it's fascinating to even think about. So yeah, might still be biased towards Mars, but I've got a lot of love for the moon. Yeah, I'm definitely a Mars person. And as you were kind of responding, I was thinking, why is it always moon and Mars? Is it because it's M's? There are other planets, right? There are other places to go. <laughs> maybe maybe you just want to drift in space, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think it's weird yeah. how questions kind of develop, but maybe it's because those are the two closest places for us to go. Uh, mm. Last question. Uh, and I love asking this question because it gives me kind of just, you know, um, a goodie, I guess. Uh, what's something that you normally don't get to talk about that you wish more people would ask you and you have the opportunity to kind of talk about? Yeah. So, um, it's a really interesting question. I think, um, I think that one of the things, um, is that as a, as a female CEO and founder of a space company, it's, I do feel like this doesn't get talked about a ton. Um, but there is really this difference that occurs because the space industry is so male dominated. Um, and it's, it's unfortunate, but I do feel like, you know, some of the female founders and there's not a ton, um, in the space industry, really there's like this judgment or there's kind of like this thinking that you have to fight up against a lot, um, which is that, you know, kind of what you're building is maybe a passion project, but it's not really a viable business or, you know, there's kind of, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that will shy away um, from investing because they just, they'll say like, I, you know, one of the things that I hear, you know, is like, oh, well, um, you know, I'm just not, you know, sure if this is scalable or things like that. And so I think ultimately um, we already know this about, you know, kind of the venture capital world. Like we already know that this is an issue um, broadly, um, where, you know, there is this difference, um, in the way that female founders get treated. Um, but I think ultimately, like, that's one thing where it's like, I wish more people would talk about what the experience is like for female founders in the space industry, because it is challenging. It is challenging to, um, to, to try to convince people, um, you know, of what you're, of what you're doing and the viability of your business, because there's a lot of judgments that get made before you even open your mouth. Um, so I think that's, that's definitely something that I feel like we could be talking a lot more about and making this like a more, um, inclusive space. Cause if we look at, um, if we look at a lot of like what's happening on the commercial side of things, there's, there's not a ton of, you know, diversity right now. And so I think that we could really be doing a much better job of supporting not only, you know, women founders, but, you know, people of color and other, um, and other groups that are underrepresented as well, um, in terms of like having entrepreneurial ambitions in the space industry. 
as we just said, there's plenty of room, right? There's room for everybody. And I think there's a lot of interesting ideas out there. Um, but we just have to, you know, and, and there are, there are some people that are definitely, um, you know, are, have the courage to kind of invest in, I guess, you know, non-traditional companies or, you know, with non-traditional founders or things like that. But, um, but I think we could be doing a lot more of that. And so I definitely like to see more conversations around that take place. I love that answer. It gives me an opportunity to plug the in Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity in Aerospace Task Force at the Center for Air and Space Law, which I just happen to be the director of. So y'all go find me wherever um, and see the work that we're trying to do. But I, I, I completely agree. Um, and I'm so glad you brought that up. I think that's a great point. Uh, this has been so fun. Uh, so amazing. Uh, I love getting to talk to you. Uh, thank you so much for this, Britt. Um, I honestly can't say thank you enough, really. I just, everything you do is just so amazing and I love it. And I really appreciate you making time for me today. Um, so many amazing, incredible insights. Uh, and just thank you so much. Well, you're very kind. This was such a blast. I loved it. And I love all the work that you're doing. Like, I feel like we need to have like a shout out to AJ right here because you are super involved in making space a better place for everyone. So, um, but yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast and um, yeah, I can't wait to keep some of these conversations going. And of course, if anybody's interested in, um, you know, kind of getting more involved in, in any of these topics that we talked about today, um, definitely feel free to reach out to me um, and our team over at Celestial Citizen. We'd love to hear from you. And um, yeah, thanks so much. Thank you. And just where can they find you? I know we talked about it earlier, but where can they find you or Celestial Citizen and all that good stuff? Yes, absolutely. Okay, good question. I should have I should have mentioned that. Okay, so you can A, you can email us at info at celestialcitizen.com. You can also, of course, find our podcast on all streaming platforms and listen to it there. And then you can follow us on Instagram at the Celestial Citizen and also on uh, Twitter at Celestial Citizen. We're also on LinkedIn. Um, and we've got some really exciting things coming out in 2022. So I also encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, um, which is also just Celestial Citizen YouTube channel. Um, so check that out. And um, if you're not signed up already, we also have a Substack newsletter. So um, you can check us out there. And all of that's on our website, um, celestialcitizen.com. Amazing, incredible, thank you. For our curious listeners out there who are eager to learn more about human rights issues in outer space, you can reach out to Just Add Astra uh, via the project's Twitter handle. It's at Just Add Astra, that's J-U-S-A-D-A-S-T-R-A, or check out our website at www.justaddastra.org. Be on the lookout for future episodes of Pod Ad Astra, and thank you again for joining us today.